Welcome to the Jeff Gross Podcast. This episode is brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes. All right. Welcome, everyone. We have another podcast today. It's number 155 with the man, the myth, Jeremy Osmus, fresh off a monster WSOP, winning two bracelets, three now all-time bracelets, a very, very experienced, accomplished player, great guy, family man. We got Jeremy Osmus on the pod today. Jeremy, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. I know we talked about it during the WSOP. Of course, it's crazy. You got kids. You, you know, there's just always something going. It's kind of hard to do anything other than play and just kind of, you know, stay afloat during the WSOP. But um, before we kind of dive back through memory lane and how you got into poker, just quickly tell me about this WSOP. You got off to a great start winning a bracelet, literally, I believe the first open event. So it tell me about this WSOP and what worked for you to, to have such a successful, uh, I guess not summer, but World Series of Poker fall for this for you. It's all good. I, I've been calling it summer all year. Everyone, I think the thing is, you just call it summer. It's just the thing to do. So yeah, uh, yeah. It obviously went about as good as, as, as it could have. Um, I every year for the series, I just I put on the grinding hat and I really go for it. And uh, this year was no different. And I, I started off actually at that COVID bracelet I won. It was one of the smallest bracelets ever awarded probably i mean besides maybe the ones back in the day it was like 48k for first um actually regretted registering it right when i did because it was going to go all night and it was much i thought it was going to be like 800 people and it ended up being like 200 and some and i was like man i'm gonna i i like to be a pessimist i'm like this is gonna i'm gonna bust at like 4 a.m for like for like three thousand dollars and then i'm gonna be shot for the next few days because i'm getting old now uh, so anyways, whatever. I won. Good way to start the series. But funny fact, and I tweeted about this. I don't tweet a lot these days, but uh, a lot of people brought it up. They thought it was funny. I tweeted the next day or two days later, I played two events at the World Series. I won one of them, but I'm stuck. So I played the 25K no limit the next day. Uh, two bullets. You know, my win was 48K. So I was down 2K day two after winning a bracelet. Uh, but whatever. I could have been down 50K. So. Well, and I'm sure you would you would take it right to be stuck a couple grand at a bracelet tally. That's that, that's definitely nice. So, um, you know, what what is uh, what are some of the mis- misconceptions in poker, too? I think that is people see. Right. We look at your career. You know, obviously you're a, a winning. Well, I mean, again, it's not obvious because depending on buy ins and, and, and all that. But, you know, it's kind of tricky to see that you have 10 million in earnings, but people don't I don't know why it's covering. Oh, OK, yeah, we go back here. And we look at your career. So yeah, 10 million in earnings, but it doesn't show buy-ins, right? So that's like, I think a little bit confusing for people too, because it, it's, it's not always as lucrative and um, what's the word, glamorous as people think. What, what to you has been the hardest part to convince your family, friends, wife about poker? I mean, are they just completely supportive all in or have they kind of been like worried about you, you know, diving in and, and you know, you've been doing this such a long time now? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing it a long time, like you said. I, I moved to Vegas in '05, um, so so at this point, all my friends and family are very supportive because you know I, I've been pretty successful even before you know I was doing well in tournaments. I was a cash player and you know made good money. So uh, and I, I met my wife, my now wife, back in in college in Fort Collins, and I was already playing my last year of college. 
small stakes, but I was making a living about it. So she's, ever since she's known me, this is all I've done. So she's always been 100% supportive. I mean, the whole life we have is because of solely from poker, right? So, uh, but but you're right. The the numbers can be very misleading. Like, honestly, this year, I'm not doing that great still after winning all that money because I'm playing a lot of high rollers and I was getting, I was having my worst year ever uh, until I won that tournament, right? So, um, yeah, they don't list the buy-ins. This year, it, it is a little smoke and mirrors to how I'm actually doing. But overall, the big picture, I, I mean, I've, I've done quite well in tournaments. I, I have meticulous notes on everything. I have. I enter every session I've ever played live since like 2011, since Black Friday. So I know exactly where I stand in, in every game, every tournament, and all that stuff. So it's good to be able to see that. But you can't say that, you know, everyone has their own story and you see a lot of people with a lot of winnings, maybe that they're losing, right? You can, have, you can have 20 million winnings and be losing. It's not hard to do, especially yeah. now with the high roller scene. The high, there's just high rollers nonstop now and 10K is enough. And then the buy-ins get 250, you know, 250K, things like that. So uh, it's misleading for, for sure. I think I saw either it was on the Bernard Lee or some other podcast. I had some notes and, and you – you don't really plan too far ahead. Is that true? You kind of look at what's going on and obviously being in Vegas, it's, it's nice to be able to just know there's stuff going on, whether it's at the poker go, you know, the, the high roller stuff, just kind of, they, they roll off stuff all the time. There's other series and major events come in. Do you plan at all? Or do you literally like wake up for the, you know, the week or the day and you're like, all right, you know, I'm going to play this and this is going on. How, how much preparation do you do in terms of scheduling? But hardly any, I, I just never have. Um, if there's a trip I'm going to travel for, of course, that, that's on my radar, you know, I have to book that. I don't just book that last second or whatever, but I book that well in advance. I go to Florida a couple times a year. Would like to be doing some more Europe stuff eventually, you know, but that's kind of on hold for me for right now, I think, with COVID and everything. Everything's up in the air. But as far as, I mean, the series, I just plan on playing every day. And I, I look at the schedule, you know, when it comes out. And I see some events I might be excited about, like the PLOs, you know, things like that. I, I like the PLOs a lot. And just see what's out there, but I don't say like, oh, I, I have to play. I, I It's very likely I will play the, that event. I only won't play that event if I'm in something else. And if I'm in something else and miss an event, I probably have a higher EV being in that other tournament, right? Even, even if it's a big buy-in tournament, you know, if you're deep in a 5K, day two of a 5K and there's a 25K that you miss, your your equity and your EV in the in the five K is, is higher than it probably will, you, you would be in the twenty five K registering right away. So that's how I always look at it. And then if I bust, I have no problem late registering. So I just I just fire. You know, I, I play long days. I really I really play a lot during the series. Talk to me a little bit about being a parent. And you have you know two children. I believe you're forty three or in that range. Is that right? Are you forty three? Forty two, man. Slow down. Right. Yeah, sorry. Now you look, you look thirty-five. I just, I thought, I knew, I did see somewhere, and you were in that that wheelhouse. I saw the birthday. Uh, I guess you kind of. I mean, you're a little bit older than me, and I feel like I came in around the boom. So, did you come in around two? I'm, you're eight years, seven years older than me. Did you? Were you playing poker before, sort of money maker and all this, or wh- how did you get into it? The boom, for sure. The boom. Um, I mean, you know, I played back in the day in high school with friends and. Uh, during the holidays, I'd go to a, a particular friend of mine and his family loved poker. And they did that and I would always go to their house, you know, around, around the holidays. I mean, obviously I hung out with my family, but 
they would have these poker games and I thought it was, I loved it. Like I love games, right? As, as a lot of people in yeah, yeah. love, you know, my grandpa taught me chess when I was a young kid. And big video, you know, I, I love video games. Um, so just any strategic kind of thing. And then, so it was in college. I wasn't playing a ton, but then the boom, Moneymaker was on ESPN. Uh, I started dabbling online on poker stars, small stakes, these sit and goes and party poker, um, all that stuff. Uh, and, and I'd watch rounders and, and it was, you know, this, this whole underground professional scene. And I was wondering like, is this a real thing? Like, it kind of seems like a true story. I'm like, can people really like actually make money at this long right. term? I, I remember going to Barnes and Noble and buying, like, I think I bought uh Scarn's guide to modern poker or something. And was reading about it and it sounded like you could make money over the long term playing poker you know so me and my i remember watching rounders me i watched it like every day that week you know i've never done that with a movie me, me and my roommates were crazy about it. one one roommate in particular Great movie yeah and we we're just playing heads up you know on the coffee table every day watching this movie and then like i said online started and i just kept getting more books and i got like slancy limit hold'em and then i would go to blackhawk which was a couple hour drive and play five dollar limit poker this was like in 2003 probably where were you colorado yeah i went to colorado state fort Collins, colorado hour north of denver so you were actually in college or was it grad school because like i said i was like in high school when i think it happened and then i must have i'm just trying it's actually funny you say that i do the exact same thing i would drive like three hours with a yeah. couple of buddies and we'd play limit hold'em up at like, I believe it was in Michigan, you know, up north at an Indian reservation. I was playing like three, six and six, 12 limit hold'em. That was like really the first live poker I ever played. Um, so very similar, but I guess you were just like, so you were finishing college or out of college? So I, I took a couple years off college. So I had the extended college plan. Um, okay. Maybe I changed my major a time or two. But anyways, I was in college my, my last year or two of college when I started getting into it. Um, so yeah, I, and then I found like a local scene around Fort Collins where they were doing tournaments and they would have a weekly tournament and then a club popped up and they would have cash games and another club popped up. So there was like three or four little clubs in this little, you know, Fort Collins, 100,000 people, college town. And so basically I kept reading the books and thinking and just, I just loved it, right? So and I can make money at it. So in 2004, I had already been tracking my results very meticulously. And uh, I, I was making like 25 or $30 an hour playing poker, right? And my job paid like, you know, I built, I worked at a wood shop, built cabinets. And it paid like, I don't know, 10 or $15, $12 an hour or something. Right. So um, I was like, you know, I love to play poker. I'm, I have... I had like a few thousand dollars saved, right? That was a lot of money. I don't come from a lot of money. I never had a lot of money. So I just kind of saved up the, the bankroll and I was like, I have this money. I have this game every day that goes now that I play. It was like a dealer's choice game. So I'd get out of class my last year. I quit my job. I would get out of class, go to the local card club, play, play, um, play a dealer's choice game and they'd have no limit like once or twice a week. And just kind of built my role higher and higher. And I graduated in 05. I had like $6,500 saved, I think. And that was like the most money I ever had, right? I was like, I'm doing pretty good. And mo I didn't know people with that kind of money, right? So, so I'm like, I'm just going to move to Vegas. And 
I didn't have a job lined up. I did graduate, but I'm, I said, I'm just going to move to Vegas and see, see what happens. What's the worst that can happen? I'll lose my money. Um, I'm not risking like losing a job or not being able to support a family. I didn't have that. So I moved to Vegas and I played, um, I moved to Vegas with a truck that didn't have an AC. I moved in August <laughs> and uh, I just started playing two five no limit around town at the Palm, mainly the Palms. Bellagio. I struggled a few months and then I found Doyle's room in December. They had like a $500 sign up bonus. And it was something about the players there. And I, I guess I was always getting better, but I just, I put it, I put money on for the de- deposit bonus and I made like 10K or something. I'd kind of been break even. Then I made like 10K in December, which was like huge, right? Like yeah. 1.5 X all the money I had. And, uh, and then I just moved up the States and, and just, I just did really well on that site specifically um, for a couple of years. And then I started mixing in 510 at the win, played that a lot. I was kind of doing online and live. Um, and then. Where did you, when did you meet your wife? You said you met her, she, were you already like playing poker? You met her in college or in Vegas? In, in college, in, in uh, 2004. So, or I'm sorry, 2005. It was just a few months before I moved to Vegas. She was just finishing college also. She became a flight attendant just to do something fun, travel around a little bit. So we were able to make it work pretty well, right? Because I played poker and had my own schedule. She was a flight attendant. She had free flights and she'd get me free flights sometimes. So we did that a couple of years and then she moved out in 2007. And and tell me, as a dad, I consider you and Darren Elias, I mean, there's a few others, but you guys are kind of uh, two guys I know, and, and I see you make it really work. It, or Again, as you know, as parents, the work best it can, because it's, it's chaos, right? There's always stuff going on. There's, there's things, there's events, there's, there's all kinds of stuff happening. How has that been, being a father now? How old are your two kids? Uh, and and how, how old? 11 and 9. Okay, so yeah, you've, you know, it's a little, you're, you're, they're a little bit older than I think a lot of my friends that, that have kids. I have a lot of kids, the guys like five, three, two, kind of that, that age of yeah. kids, which makes sense. You're seven years older. Um, you know, what, what has that experience been like? What have been things that have, you know, was that, was that a period of time where you were like, wow, that I can't, this isn't going to work or it's too difficult. Or did you just kind of get a schedule set up where you, you find, you know, to, to make your own schedule playing poker that works? Yeah, we always made it work somehow. It's not easy. Right. Um, it's not like a normal job where you leave and go to go. I'm not sure I understand. Sorry. Seriously. Chill out, sir. She just, she just has to get a word in, you know? It's all right. Um, so it's, um, it's not like a normal job where you go to work nine to five, you come home and then the job's done and then you have your family time, right? It's, it can be different hours, things like that. Um, and, and for me, I was playing a lot online when we had our first child and I would always want to, you know, check the games. Like I needed to be playing when the games were good and when they were going. Right. So, and that wasn't all the time. So it was, it was uh, not easy to balance all that. But one thing I've never done is done the whole night shift where I sleep in the day and, and I play all night, even after black Friday and I was playing live all the time. I, I just made it. I just never. I don't like to mess with my sleep schedule, and I don't feel like it's a good family environment, right? So I, I just have always played in the day outside of tournaments where I play into the night. Sometimes I've never been the 
the night crew. Like in, in cash game, live cash games, there's kind of like a day crew and then a night crew, right? And some guys will just be there for both a few days in a row. Right. I, I never did that. Like I never I think I pulled an all nighter in cash games one time, and that was before I moved to Vegas. Otherwise, I hardly ever played played late with cash. So. It- and tell me, we're going to jump around a bit because I do want to go down memory lane, your first live kind of success. And of course, just like 98% of the people on the show, final table, your first Hen and Mob result, the first recorded, it says seventh place, maybe got you the itch for tournaments. But uh, tell me about that 50K tournament you just took down, WSOP bracelet. So again, congrats, get your third, but second of the, of the WSOP 2021 um, what was that like? Cause that when I remember watching that, I actually fell asleep. So it went so late and it was a pretty entertaining. I mean, you got two of the biggest names in poker, of course, yourself very well respected and, and known and, and a great resume. You have over 10 million in earnings now um, live. And what was that though? Playing three handed with Negranu and Helmuth, like guys you probably watched since day one and knew who they were. I mean, it's gotta be a little surreal to play a 50 K buy-in, you know, every all your friends, family are watching. Everyone knows these guys too. You know, it's not like two random guys that are that, that found their way there. So tell me about that experience. And also, you're not a night guy. Didn't it go to like 4 a.m.? Yeah, yeah. So I do get on a bit of a night schedule during the World Series when I sleep in. That's kind of about the only time throughout the year I do that. But it's just beneficial to kind of be on that night schedule a little more. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a definitely one of the coolest experiences I've had in poker. Um, just, you, you know, to beat Phil Helmuth. Who, who's Mr. WSOP, right? With all the bracelets. Um, the heads up was really quick. We were very shorthanded, but um, yeah, playing heads up, beating him heads up was cool. Not a lot of people are going to be able to say that, right? So even, you know, if I had to pick who I wanted to play heads up at the final table, it wouldn't have been him, right? Not because of his stature, but I think he was the weakest PLO player. And he would probably, well, he wouldn't agree with that, but I think it's his worst game he admitted at the table. Um so, and Daniel too, I'm friends with Daniel. He's, he's, I like Daniel a lot and uh, it's fun playing with him. I thought he played really good, but the table was just legends. Even before the stream started, uh, Ben Lamb was there and, you know, Jared Blesnick was there. This Laszlo guy in Omaha for Rolls Online. This Alex P, uh, fourth place is an online legend who was hilarious, by the way. It was a great final table. Josh Arie. I mean, it yeah. was uh, it was WSOP player of the year. You got Sean Deeb who won the 25K PLO and, you know, maybe one of the guys that can make a run at Helmuth's record, one of the more prestigious. So, yeah, these are big names, big, great players. Henrik Hecklin, I mean, this is, this is all-star stuff. So how, how do you rate PLO in your game? I believe you won your first bracelet in PLO as well. Right. Yeah, PLO is one of my better games for sure now. It's, um, I, I think I would say that before I, before I would have won that. <laughs> I'm not just saying that because I won, but um, I've played a fair amount the last – the last few years and feel feel really good like you know in cash games and online and stuff like that and i mean i i I think i would be kidding myself if i would say i haven't ran well in the plo tournaments but i i it's a small sample i've done really really good i i I went deep in the 10k i got fifth this year the the 25k i got like 14 and then i won the 50 and then yeah i won i wasn't very good at the game back in the day when I won the bracelet, which was 2013 or 14, but, but yeah, it's, it's my top one or two games besides no limit. And, and what about, um, mixed games? You, you do play, you said you, you said one of your best games. So you do play uh, a fair amount of other games. Yeah. I, I play the mix. I've gone off and on with the mix. 
I, I play it, I don't play it, but I'm familiar with all the games. Yeah. I, I play the sometimes like the two four and three six hundred at Bellagio or you know, things like that. Some and I, and at the series, some years I play a lot of the mixed events. This year I played a handful of them. Um I've been the I played the fifty K a few times. I almost did this year, but I decided like I said, I was getting killed this year and I'm like decided not to play it. But right. but yeah, I I play all the games, but I don't know how great I am in like the stud games and some of the draw games. And how do you deal with, you know, tournaments are obviously your, your wife knows what happens because she probably follows it. She can, you know, sees it or, or checks updates. But what about like cash games? You go play 200, 400, 300, 600. Is, uh, do you have, a, do you basically come home and do you say how you did? Do you not, do you keep it kind of balanced and, and does your wife kind of feel the, the emotions of the ride or do you just, does she rather not know like how you're doing, win or lose? Just kind of in general, how it's going, how, how, how detail oriented are you in that regard? Yeah, she likes to know how, how I did. And I mean, I'm not too emotional about it. Uh, like if I'm losing, I don't get too down. I, you know, it, I, it can happen if it's a prolonged period of time, right? I can just go and lose and it's not going to really bother me. But when you lose for, for, you know, eight months or, or a year, that, that's when things start to get, get pretty frustrating, right? So, and I know you can relate to that. That, that happens to all of us. Um, for sure especially when you're just playing tournaments uh there's just a lot of volatility and you unless you final table or win you you know you you should go into a tournament and expect to lose because that's the reality of it you're going to lose 80 plus percent of the time right so uh going in with that mindset i think helps to deal with it it does get frustrating after a while if you if it keeps happening but you know i think you learn after a while after you've done it several times and been through several bad downswings and all that you, you learned to live with what, what do you believe your 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 balance is with poke with um cash games and tournaments like within the year just in this typical year what, what what's the percentage you play of, of what um so like after black friday it was over the years if you could graph it my tournaments have just gone up and up in proportion to cash games so this year live, I've, I've played four cash games maybe, um, and I used to just play. I used to play seventy or eighty percent cash games. Um, now I just play tournaments more. There's just the tournament scene is is growing. The cash game scene isn't unless like I've talked about the private game scene. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of into tournaments right now too. So ma- mainly tournaments. If I do play cash, it's more likely to be online. And, and what did your parents say or in your, your family when you, when you started to play poker and they're like, Oh, I'm going to move to Vegas and, and go there. Were they like, Oh, that's great. You know, good luck. Let's know how it goes. Were they like, you cannot do that. What are you thinking? What was their attitude? Um, yeah, my mom. So my dad had passed away when I was 21. So it was just my mom. She was, um, she was okay. You know, she was pretty supportive about it. I think she's always kind of been like that. Let me do kind of what I, not just anything I want to. Obviously, she provided guidance for sure. Um, but it's kind of like um, you know, I was. What could she do, right? I, I was. I was in my mid twenties, and um, I had my own money. It's not like she was going to bail me out or do anything. And I think she probably thought I would go and just lose my money and you know pursue a normal job. But she did know that I had made a you know my whole. I hadn't bothered her for money for a year, my last year of college, and I quit my job. So she knew I was doing better than I'd ever done. 
Um, but I don't think she realized you could move to Vegas and, and really make a living, you know, like I did. And is she, does she sweat? Like when it's on poker go, is she subscribed and in there and following along and, you know, having, having tea with their friends and, and, and putting you on the big screen or is she kind of like nervous, doesn't want to know. And then she like, you tell her how it goes. No, she's, she's followed me probably closer than anyone. <laughs> yeah. Nice. So she, she subscribed to poker go. She's, you know, she sweats it. She'll text me sometimes or, you know, in the middle of the night, like, Oh, or, and I don't, I don't tweet a lot or, Tell people what I'm playing or doing. She'll look through the WSOP, find where I'm at, find all that stuff. Big supporter of it. And it, does she ever like? Well, she is she inquisitive, curious? Like, does she like? Why'd you do that? Or man, that play was crazy. Give you any critiques, or just kind of like just sit back, enjoy the ride, and, and trust the process. And then same with your wife. Does she ever give you any like? What happened, or why did you do that? You know, does, does she get? Does she understand the game and follow it closely? They don't. My wife understands the game. She, I taught her how to play uh, a few years back. She gets it, um, but she doesn't, you know, she's never questioning anything. She, if anything, she might have a say or like a question about like what I'm going to play and why I play this or this. But any decision I make when I'm playing, she never says anything. And, and my mom either. No, she's a, uh, I don't know how much she really gets the game. But she watches it a fair amount, so she must get it. But she never really comments much about the play. You know, she might say something about how me acting like an idiot or something like that. You know? Yeah, she enjoys the, the theatrics. Fair enough. All right, and let's talk about early on. You get in, you're playing cash locally and this and that. 2008, though, what made you go play the first tournament in, in Tunica, nonetheless? It looks like but maybe you played a couple, right? Maybe in cash. This is the first recorded cash, at least. What, what, was, what made you go to Tunica? I don't know. Um, I guess I was just kind of dipping my feet in the, in the tournament scene. They had, um, I think they had a WPT or something out there. Okay. Yeah. It does say, it says world poker tour. So maybe it was a side event. You played the other one and then played this as well and cashed that. Uh, and then you fast forward a couple of years though. It looks like you probably weren't playing too many tournaments, maybe focusing on the cash, but you do have a, a cash in the 10 K, uh, you know, the LA poker classic. And then, a decent a big score here at this i'm not sure what that is the big event but in la what was that like was that a bankroll booster were you already kind of cruising online that that was a big one for i mean i i was already doing really well online it's funny that first trip to tunica to go back to that really quick yeah somehow i don't even know how this happened i didn't know anyone in poker really i i guess i went out there with a friend of mine i don't i'm pretty sure i went with my friend colby and somehow we got in a, a limo with alan kessler Right. So, so we rode with him to the casino and I just remember thinking like, this is an interesting guy. <laughs> I don't guess I had heard his name, I think. Uh, anyway, that was a flashback memory I had, but, but yeah, the, the one in, um, the, I mean, before that, even the win one, which was like 55 K that was a pretty big deal. You know, that was the biggest score I'd ever had. I remember it was a, a, a big bankroll boost. You know, I don't know how much money I had then. Maybe these payouts are savage back then. Literally, like double the whole way. You know, four through one. Um, you know, big difference. Know. Yeah, <laughs> one hundred eight fifty five, and so top heavy, right? Like as in general, uh, payouts are. But I guess one forty three and and you know eighteen cash. So you, you does it? This one did stand out though. This was like a. Did you kind of catch the tourney bug with this? You're like, all right, this is. I like going to start playing more tournaments. Um. I did because partly because, you know, I, I bricked my first like 
30 events at the World Series. I went like 0 for my first 30. So I had already played a fair amount. This, um, what was it for? I remember we chopped. I don't know if that was reflected. Also, that win one, the win, we chopped that. I got more money than him. And the win? And this one? Yes. He, I got like 70 or 75. Okay. This, that guy, Will, yeah, Bob, I think. Um, he wanted the trophy and the points because he was playing a lot of tournaments then and doing well. I took more money and uh, yeah, something like that. And then also, yeah. So then the, the big one in the 190 K also, I, uh, we, we made some deal there. I, I think I got three handed with Hashem and uh, Victor Ramden. Victor. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that actually reflects the, the deal we made. I can't remember. Interesting. That was, that was a big deal. That was, um, I was already doing, I had started doing really well online, like in the 2550 cap game. So I was doing pretty well already, but that was still a, a big deal. Um, and, and then of course the, the biggest score, a seven figure WSOP, what they started in November nines. I don't know Would that, was that already a thing or was that around the time where you, you were in November nine, right? Yeah, we were actually, ours was October, October nine. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so what what happened here? I mean, this is one of the this is a huge entry, right? Sixty six hundred. It's the year that that Merson won. I think he had to win it to win Player of the Year, and he did. And I mean, some big names and you know, exciting down the stretch. Like, t- talk to him about this run and and how magical is this? I mean, it's. I think it's safe to say it's, it's almost every poker player's dream, right? To final table the main. So to do that was awesome. Um, it was it was definitely. Like I said, that 50K was one of my best poker memories. And then final table remain. Those, those have to be the one and two. I don't know what was what was more special. Um, I mean, final table remain is just it's so hard to do. There's so many people. Um, that was really cool. And that, that was obviously a huge deal. That was uh, two million. So that was Yeah, because I mean, it looks like this WSOP, you have some caches. Doesn't look anything out of the ordinary, right? A couple of like min caches. Maybe you could argue, say, not even probably not that great a summer or going into the final to the main event. And this is basically the main event ended. There wasn't like another 10 events. And this year they had like high rollers galore at the end and kind of, kind of a lot happening, but you know, here you go into it and did, I mean, did you get off to a fast start or what was, you know, were you, were you all out of the gates or did you just kind of hang around and get hot late? What was your sort of uh, your, your, your graph looking like on the days here? Um, yeah, I didn't get a hot start. I, I was pretty short. Um, I did. I was able to gain a few chips on the money bubble, and I was headed down to play on the money bubble. This was like day three, I guess, day three or four. And my wife was pregnant. She called me like halfway to the Rio. She called me, and she's like, "I just got. I had lunch with my friend. I just got dropped off. I'm locked out of the house, and it's 100 and 110 or 15 degrees out. She's pregnant. So I had to turn around." And be like, thir- go let her in and uh, be like 30 minutes late with, with like a decent stack on the bubble. So that Whoa. kind of, uh, honestly, in hindsight, obviously, you know, the butterfly effect, uh, it probably wouldn't have worked out like it did. So that was wow. a lucky thing that happened. That is, uh, that is definitely, that is pretty intense. Um, what is, uh, what is, what was like, was there, was there, I mean, it's just so hard to imagine like that many people, that size by an actually final table, it seems impossible. When did you feel like you were a threat? Like when was it down with a couple hundred left or did it get, and it's, it is really a magical run. So what was, uh, 
what was like a turning point? Was there a big hand or you caught, caught a heater? You said you had a lot of chips on the bubble. You know, where, where did you kind of uh, extend your lead and, and exploit situations? Well, what worked for you during this particular tournament, though, at the end? Like, take it down to the final couple hundred. So, yeah, I, I feel like I never had a ton of chips until I think it was – I mean, my memory is foggy on all this, but day, day seven you played at the final table, so it was day six. I remember playing with Kyle Kiernan and Paul Volpe and um, John Beaupre. We were talking about this summer. I was at the table, and I called uh, Kyle on the big hand on the river. He was bluffing. And and then I just kind of caught a run. And, um, you know, I think I looked down with 50 left, and I was a chip leader. I had like $9 million or something. Um, or something like if my memory is right. But I, 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 was, I was chip leader for a while, like 50 people, and I was like – I felt great about my game and I felt really, I mean, looking back at how I played, I don't play like that anymore, but at the time I had, I had very high confidence. Um, I, I was just crushing online and I had cashed like 12 tournaments that year. My online tournaments results were good. I felt like I could definitely win. I, I liked my chances a lot. I also, so, so that was great. But then, you know, I didn't, I didn't say the chip leader. I won a big flip against um, UV with like a couple of tables left, which kind of propelled me into just, you know, hanging on to make the final table. I was came in a ninth to the final table. And then honestly I did I did the least studying I would think of anyone at the final table. Um, because my son was born during in the off time. So we were off for like two months. And I would have liked to have just played because I felt like a lot of other players had a lot of room to make up where I, I didn't have as much, right? Right. So I, I my son was born. He was born like seven weeks early. So he was in the baby intensive care, the NICU for like, um, I think he was there for three, three and a half weeks. So during that downtime, I was, you know, me and my wife were going to the hospital to see him every day, feed him, do all the parenting stuff. So the biggest break I've ever had from poker was from when I final tabled the main until I played the main of that final table. I, I just didn't play and I felt fine with it because I, I liked where my game was at. But it's so funny because someone was watching the final table. At, a friend of mine sat next to me in a tournament the other day. He pulled up the final table and was watching some hands, and I was seeing some of them. And I'm like, man, I, I just I was opening just way, way too wide. And that's just what I did back then because it worked, right? People folded too much. But mm-hmm. it was even my bust hand. I had like 10-7 offsuit on the button. You know what I mean? It's just kind of absurd things like that. So. Yeah, I mean, listen, it is, it moves around, right? Population tendencies, different things, different exploits. And obviously what you're doing was, was working, but yeah, I'm sure if you probably tweaked in and threw some stuff in for today, what you know, um, you, you know, yeah, you played a bit differently, but most players would say the same. What, what are the things you do to work on your game? You know, are you big in the PO? Do you, you have a group that you work and study with? What do you think? are some of the attributes and things that you do to sort of make yourself one of the, the elite pros in the world playing the highest stakes? Yeah. I think if you're, I think you gotta be solving these days. You know, I, I've spent a fair amount of time with, with things like that. Um, you know, Munker, PO and all that stuff. Um, analyzing hands. So I play hands and I'll, 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 I'll check them out later that day. You know, any hand I play, I don't feel too confident in or I'm questioning how I played it. I look into it, you know, and you didn't used to have the tools like you have now, right? Back in the day, I, you could analyze sessions, but 
maybe send them to friends and talk about them, but you, you didn't have a solver. And solvers only take you so far, right? Because some people are just off the solver grid, right? So you can't, the range they have isn't the actual range the solver's playing. And, you know, on the, on the turn, what they would have done on the flop, their range is different from the solver. So I think a big skill is, is being able to use use that stuff, but also turn it off when you need to. Um, right. Do because you get so used to playing like that and thinking like that. But I think you know most of the, the top players now are, are doing these things. And and you did mention you mentioned Phil Hellmuth earlier. You battle he you know mixed games. Phil Hellmuth had a record seven seven WSP final tables. He just constantly sort of puts the, the naysayers and the, and the haters, if you will, you know, he kind of feeds off it. The, the, the young whippersnapper GTO kind of crushers don't seem to give him the, the respect. Where do you stand with like Helmut, Negreanu, these guys that have been around for a long time, obviously Seidel competing at the highest level, you know, it's to their credit, keeping with the times kind of, you know, adjusting their game. But what, what do you think about, let's just, let's just take Phil because you played him heads up. You mentioned PLO not his strongest game. What do you think of his like no limit game? And in general, you think Phil deserves more credit, less credit? What do you kind of, what would you say about Phil? Um, I think the, the big, you know, the big arguments start because people have a game they're good at. Maybe it's no limit cash game or a high roller and they play a certain way. They, they don't, maybe they're not playing the tournaments he plays, right? So you can do things differently in those in, in a softer tournament. You, you don't have to do things like optimally, you know, like the solver says exactly, right? So you can make stupid, crazy folds sometimes because the, the guy's range is just not what it is in, in, against the high roller, right? It's just way different. So that, that's why I said being able to turn it off or just being able to resolve kind of, if you use the solvers enough, you kind of just know how to apply the, the theories and mechanics of it all to a new range that they might have, right? So, like making a crazy fold that you should never fold that that Pio is going to say is a ten big blind mistake. You you can do that sometimes in, in the really soft field because the guy doesn't have bluffs, right? So your your top of your range is, is half of its bed, right? So I, I mean, I've always given Phil credit because I think he's doing things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think he won't do good against the top players. If you put him in a 25k at the Aria against, you know, Ollie and Jason Kuhn and and, and a lot of players like that. And Chidwick and Obama. Chidwick yeah. and Elias. Yeah. He's, he's, I don't think he's going to win. I mean, but I, I don't think people have given enough credit for what he's done, right? And also, let's, let's take, let's think about this. Go go way back before solvers and before all this new school of poker came up. He was crushing no limit back then, right? He he was. I think people look at how someone plays now and <coughs> forget like this guy was way ahead of everyone back in the day, and they don't give any credit for that. Maybe it doesn't matter now, but I still respect that, right? Look at Huxley, Daniel, Negreanu. Those guys crushed people back in the day because they were they didn't have solvers. They didn't. You didn't have anything except your brain to figure it out at the table. And the guy, you know, guys figured it out. And I respect that. I think it's cool. And I still respect those guys, even if they aren't beating the game now, because a lot of guys aren't into the new school tools. It's hard to evolve. I will say this about Negreanu. He's, he's evolved with it a little bit, right? He's, he's one of the few old school guys who studies. I, I think, I mean, you know, I've talked poker with him a little bit. And I mean, he was pretty open about the challenges he did and studying and all that stuff. 
he, I mean, who else can you say that about of the old school? Phil obviously isn't doing that stuff. Um, and for what Phil plays, maybe he doesn't need to, you know? And, and yeah, he has a lot of haters even about his mixed games and all this stuff. Um, so it's, I, I think he doesn't get enough credit, but also I don't think he yeah. compete with the top, top, top players. With Makes sense. No Makes sense. Like that, that, that all, that all seems like a pretty, pretty spot on assessment. Uh, what is, you know, moving on, you hit that $2 million score, you know, you're playing, where, where do you go from there? And how did you feel after that, that, that score? Cause it's, it's such a large amount. It's a 10 K buy-in as well. This isn't a 50 K or hundred K 10 K, you know, what did you, how did that feel? Were you like, wow, I was so close to winning 8 million. Or were you like, man, tough final table, some great players there. And I'm really happy. What was your sort of, uh, cause you had some time to sort of process, right? I'm sure you went through it. You're like, all right, I want to get, you know, at the final table, you know where you're at. The difference is when you don't play the next day, you have time to digest, think about it, think about all the different scenarios. You get the million, right? They pay you whatever the final table money is on the spot. And then you come back and play for more. So give me your mindset going into that. And, and also how you felt when it ended. Yeah, I, I felt great after it. Um, I think part of it was I came in a nine, right? I came in nine of nine, even though I still had, I think, almost 30 big blinds. Um, you know, when you come in and last and ladder up, you know, another 1.3 million, 1.4 million, I felt, and, and, and the amount of money was, you know, 2.15 million. It was huge. It was, you know, a, a life-changing sum of money. So, I felt really good. I, I was just happy to be there. And then I laddered up several spots. Um, people were just busting left and right. And it was, it was great, a fun experience. Um, so I felt good about it. Um, maybe now more. I, I, I've always felt good about final tabling and however I do, I don't get too down on myself, but more in the last year, I guess I hadn't, I hadn't really like won. I'd gotten so many seconds and thirds and fourths in the last couple of years that, um, I was starting to get frustrated not getting a win, you know. So, and and do you with with uh, I'm hearing I hear a ping. I don't know if that's a message. Do you hear that? It was like I don't know if that's on your maybe your PC or I don't think it's mine. I don't know if it's like WhatsApp or do you hear that? I heard it. I thought it was yours, but it could have been mine. Well, listen. After after the start to the pod, where with the mic issues and and you know again, I'm I, I'm not ruling anything out. It definitely could be me. It's fifty fifty. Legit. I closed an app, close so it could have been that. All right. Uh, yeah, I'm not familiar with that that noise, so I think it could it might okay. be on your but cool. Um, how do you how do you evaluate your game? Because I think this is one of the hardest things in poker to be not results oriented. You know, you could win the fifty k PLO and not play great, or you could you know, bubble or, or not cash in a tournament and play your best and get unlucky. And, and obviously the more experience you have, the better you are to sort of, um, what's the word, uh, you know, understand, right. To, to, to just see like, okay, like you can go home and think, you know, not scratch your head and wonder, but is there times on the downswing or that it's more so on downswings, right? So it's upswing, things are working. You don't have to think too hard and, and just you're happy and whatever on a downswing though. You know, how do you, how do you look at yourself and, and be honest about how you think you're playing and, you know, especially online, because sometimes online is a little bit um, trickier to, well, I guess well, there's 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 the EVs and you can run salt, like the trackers, right? Poker trackers and take, see your all-in values and stuff. But do you, do you feel like you're good to be, to, to see that, to know like if you're playing well or if you, you know, make adjustments or how do you do that? How do you sort of be honest with your game when things aren't going well? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's the something all of us poker players have to deal with, you know, in, in, a, in a good way. Um, 
I, like I said, I, I just try to, I'm always questioning it and especially, yeah, downswing. But I think it's important to, you know, question plays and upswings too when you're doing really well and still, still review these hands and things like that. And, you know, people might not do that as much. Um, but yeah, um, just trying to be honest with yourself, like, is it just variance or, you know, is everyone just really good now? Do you have tells? Do you, do you think about all this stuff, right? And just try to, if you think that might be a thing, try to cover up if I have tells and be more aware of that. Maybe wear a hat, wear a hat low, things like that. Um, and I think <clears throat> feeling your best. And as I've gotten older, I feel like sometimes I, I just don't, not, don't think as clear as I used to, or maybe not in tune with the situation as good as I used to be. So for me, something I've kind of noticed recently is my diet's a big deal, you know, and if, if I can get some exercise in and good sleep, when you're younger, it doesn't really matter. You're still just like, you'll you think through it and you figure it out. But as I've gotten older, I've noticed it, it affects me a lot. So, you know, not having high sugar foods that spike your blood sugar and things like this, because I have crashes after that. And I even like don't drink much coffee now because I feel like I have crashes after coffee. Um, things like that, just so you're always at your best or near your best. And one person that is just the epitome of this is Jason Kuhn, who's a good friend of mine. I mean, he works out and eats better than anyone I know. And honestly, I feel like his brain function is is as hot as as quick as he is with everything. It, it's funny because I never used to know that, notice that about him. But now, like, I can barely keep up with him when he's talking. Sometimes, like, he tells a hand, and I'm like, dude, you gotta slow down. Telling that again, his just his uh his brain is working, man. And I think it's just just a testament to how he eats and takes care of his body. And I think that just you know flows through. Give me, give me your typical day, like during non-WSOP. You, you wake up, you get a workout in, you hit a cold plunge, you know, cold shower, uh, do, your, do your routine, you know, meditate and all that. Or do you kind of with two kids, is that out the window? You get them to school, wake up, hopefully see them, and then, you know, go from there. Well, what's your, are you, how organized are you? Typical day, I'm waking up at 7 a.m., go down, hang out with the kids and the wife and help with lunch and, you know, just hang out until they go to school at like 8. 8.15. And then I, so I've gone through phases, right? Like we all probably do where you're meditating, you're eating great, you're working out and then you fall off. So um, I'm not doing much meditating these days. I am trying to get at least some sort of workout in, even if it's a quick one. Right. And then eat good. So the cold ones I do sometimes, actually, I was trying to get my son to jump in the pool with me here. It's like 40 degrees out. And I, I jumped in. He got partway in. It was so cold. I lasted like 20 seconds, but uh, maybe 30. So I think things like that are good. Sauna. I have a sauna back here. You can see nice. it a little bit. So I, I do that. Um, yeah. And then, I you know, I look over hands a lot, things like that. Nice. And and you enjoy studying or is it like, man, I got to do this? Or is that partly, does, that, does it not bother you? Like you'll sit there and spend hours at a time. Um, do you have a ratio? Do you say, okay, today I'm just going to, I'm going to take off or do you do periods, right? Like where you, you play the WSOP, you're not probably studying while it's going on much, maybe review a few hands, but you, and then like, all right, WSOP's over. Let me look back, take some time to study. H how do you break that up? Yeah, I don't really have a set schedule. It's kind of like what you said. When I'm really busy with poker, I'll have hands I review. And then, you know, during slower times, I'll, I'll look into stuff more areas I think we're weak. 
and, and study those. Personally, I like I like all the, the study stuff. Um, I don't know. I like numbers, and I, I don't know. It's just it's just um, I've been playing this game so long, and you you've always questioned how you play these hands, right? Like, huh? How how should I play this hand? This and that, and then to have like and as somewhat of an answer key is just it's huge. I think so. I think it's really amazing, and and yeah, I use it a lot. We're talking about social media, and you say you don't post as so much, but you do have Instagram, Twitter. Do you keep up with it? How often are you updating stuff? Do you do you spend a lot? Do you feel like you spend a lot of time on social media, like keeping up with things, or are you just kind of you know use it now and again? What 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 are your thoughts on that? And also with kids, right? You have kids now, and and getting in. Uh, oh, I hear my son trying to get in here. Um, yeah, how, how do you like? How do you manage with that? Because it's becoming kind of very prevalent now, right? It's like something that's always a part of our. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear my son in the background. He knows I'm here. The door. <laughs> yeah, uh, he just. Um, yeah. <laughs> he starts talking. So yeah, tell me about that. I'm gonna. I might have to let him in here and say hi for a second. But um, I, I think my wife. She's. I, maybe he'll just go away. Oh, he's going. Okay. Your wife ran out for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she just they left me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how do you deal with that? Like, because you, it's you're on it. You're a part of it. You're on your phone. How, how does that? All right. Sorry. I'm gonna have to. I mean, he's sure. just gonna give me a sec. Hey, buddy. How are you? You want to say hi real quick? Yeah, I'm working. You have look at this. This is yo. This is every day now. He puts his jersey on. Can you say hi? Hi. That's Jeremy. Hey, he has two kids also. He is to a boy and a girl, right? Boy and girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at that. You know, he found these cleats. His so his <laughs> my wife got these these cleats like a year ago. She found them. Okay, they're too big. They're like for six year old. He's two and a half. They're they're actually not soccer. They're the wrong. They're they're uh, football cleats. He won't take them off. He wears them to bed. He brings me in the morning and he wears his jersey every day. Who's your favorite soccer team? Romy wears this stuff every day. He can't. He just can't do it. Where's mom? Working. Working. Well, can you can you go get her? Go get her for me, okay? Because daddy's doing work too. Okay. All right. Okay. Go get her, buddy. Thank you. I know, but he pounds, baby. He beats it down. All right. Yeah. I <laughs> said you don't need to open the door. He starts kicking. Like he'll he'll literally try to break it down. Tell, all right. Yeah. So anyway, sorry about that. Um. But yeah, you as you know, there's uh, I forget where we were at. I think I was asking about social media and kids and how you're on it and, and how much of your life that that uh, is it does it does it is it overwhelming or do you just kind of look at it now and again? Um, yeah, now and again. I'm not on Instagram a lot these days. So when I first got into it, and then after a final table of the main, is around the same time. I was posting a lot because I thought it would you know could lead to potential like sponsorship deals if you get a lot of followers. Yeah, all that. But then I did kind of, um, I didn't enjoy it that much, right? Um, and then part of me felt, I mean, it's kind of dumb, but part of me just felt like if I was win- winning stuff and always posting me winning, I'm just like bragging all the time. It felt weird to me. But, you know, then I had some results and I didn't post anything. And I had a few people text me and they're like, why didn't you post anything about this, man? I didn't even know what happened, this and that. So I did realize that, you know, it is a good way to just update people on how you're going how you're doing and people do want to know that otherwise they wouldn't follow you right so but but i've gotten away from too many updates it's just not my thing really um yeah anyway so i'm i try not to be i'm on twitter a lot more but i try not to too much i i on there like 
following crypto stuff more than than poker these days probably just reading and learning about stuff um but but yeah so so i'm in there a little bit. facebook hardly ever on and yeah it's, it's scary with now you know my daughter's 11 and they're gonna be she's gonna be wanting to get into that soon and, and it's um kind of scary right it's just like the world we live in now but uh it's just a different kind of world so yeah and, and tell me tell me about sponsorships back then because this is i think the original was november 9 a couple years before you said it was october not november how was that like with sponsorships with with getting patched and you know at one point i remember they were giving like for side events crazy money and stuff back in like oh four five six seven that kind of area what what are the deals what did they uh uh, what did the? Oh, uh, yeah, he's he's got. We got uh, sorry about that. Yeah, what what was it like? Did they? Did you get all? Did you shop it around? Was it just for poker? Were there other things you were looking at? What was the the sponsorship kind of the landscape? Then? Yeah, so it was it was much more lucrative in the years prior to me making the final table. Um, by the time I was there, though, I I was happy with what I got. You know, I think I got like forty or fifty k equivalent in sponsorship yes. just for wearing it at the final table. I had like one or two commitments I had to do after that. And I was ninth in chips. No one knew who I was. So I, I was happy with that. Um, and, and then that led to me final table in Maine, the ultimate poker, right? Not to be confused with ultimate bet, but the ultimate poker. You were, we, we were both team pros on that, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so that was fun. And maybe I should try harder on social media and stuff now because um, it could be lucrative again, right? I mean, it's obviously you're in a good spot party poker right yeah uh, so and and you know jason just signed with gg and things like that uh, obviously he's a big time superstar in, in the poker world i'm not like that at all but maybe if i worked harder with my social media and all that i could get something i don't know i don't it's not really my thing i don't like to be like on all the time i mean i'm not like a hermit or anything but i don't like the spotlight too much i guess yeah it's a it, it's a trick or it's just tricky, right? Because it's like, a, it's a fine line. But I think I think one of the things that's interesting is that the the kind of worlds are colliding because I think for a while, yeah, I remember when Kevin Martin signed originally with PokerStars back, it was sort of a big deal. People were like, why is this guy getting signed? Like he plays $20 tournaments and it didn't, it was sort of like when the changing of the guard of that, where it was like people, it's like, oh, a guy wins a high roller tournament or something. You know, the sites realize that like the Twitch, the, the YouTube, all that's, and I think the, the interesting part is now, you know, I feel like, you know, I consider myself more content than, than playing, but I still like to play. And I also realize guys like yourself, others are doing a lot of solver work and that are just, you know, the top, top, top 1%, half a percent. It's like, you have to be realistic and, and, and have a, and I think having a hybrid is it's rare, right? It's rare to have people on social media that are like a, a world, you don't see the absolute top, top players really doing it. Cause it is a lot of work. It's like a full-time job in sure. itself. But I think that the, the players are understanding too, it's good. People on YouTube, people on Twitch, people doing pot. These are like good for poker to help keep the game, you know, flush and lucrative. And I think that there's a little more respect amongst like bo- kind of both ways, but more so that the, the players that are high rollers and crushers realize that that's sort of a, 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 a it's a it's a essential component of the formula to have new people coming in the game. So it's kind of cool. I do feel like there's a nice mix and a, a it's it's an interesting sort of. Uh, dichotomy of, of action and people that they give uh you know it's just different right like it's hard to do it all and you have to kind of make a choice like you said you're either kind of in or out you don't want to just be spending four hours a day on social media scrolling and doing whatever you either want to really be in it or really be out and you know you it's hard to do it all so uh, it makes total sense and 
Um, yeah, I, if you had to choose a platform, what would it be? What you said, Twitter, you, you spend more time on? Yeah, definitely Twitter. Um, yeah, for sure. Without a doubt, that's the one I'm on the, on the most. Yeah. Nice. Um, nice. I, I, I use my Instagram a lot more, but I, I haven't, I've been really bad the last couple of weeks. So. Well, I want to make sure everyone knows to, to give you a follow, check you out on those platforms. And then we are going to, I want to remind, we're going to give away a retweet question. If you have a question for Jeremy, you have time right now. You can go there on my, um, my, my pinned, uh, tweet and you can go ahead and ask a question. We will, we will head into that pretty soon here and try to get as many of these done as we can. Um, hopefully Jeremy, if you win, I don't know if you retweeted to get let people, your fans know that we're live, but you're not eligible. I'm sorry. If you win, we'll, we'll redo it. If you did get that out there, I'm going to go there in a few minutes, but I do want to ask you a couple more questions about your, uh, your high roller stuff playing 50 Ks, hundred Ks. We see here, you know, you did hit that 2 million before that. Were you playing 25 Ks already in all this, or was this sort of like, did this boost you up into a point where now you're going to start firing some of the, the, the high rollers? You know, I don't even know if there were many 25 Ks back then. Like, honestly, now they're just so common, but um, I did have a stint at high rollers, I think after the main or something like 10 Ks, things like that. Uh, like the kind of what poker goes doing now, they they were doing that on a smaller scale, just like a Bellagio and things like that. I didn't do very well in those. Those were some 25Ks too. So I didn't do too hot in many of those. Um, and then I kind of, you know, would only play like the, the bigger, better ones and travel for them, for them you know, at like the stops, I'd play 25Ks. And then last few years, I've gotten back into them since I'm mainly focused on tournaments again. What is your, you still, even after all this, like I see you have a fairly wide range in buy-ins. I feel like you do still play some of the, you know, like I see you in some 1Ks, 1500s, here's an 888, crazy eight, gimmicky event, but a lot of money at the top and pretty soft. How do you, uh, like, what's your, what's your determining factor when you go register and play a tournament? What's sort of like the key things you're looking at? Guarantees, buy-in size, how, what your EV you think is, or... You know, I, like here, you've been playing 365. I mean, it's a fun one. I'll play these too. Uh, PLO, it's a World Series bracelet. It's great. But like, how do you how do you play a? I mean, there's not many guys playing 365 and a 50k, right? In the PLO, like that's a wide range of, on the buy-in. So, right. uh, what what is that like? How do you, how does your mindset differ between the two? Um, yeah, I don't know if I'd still play the 365, um, but I, if I do play those, and most of like the 1k and 1500 this year, I would just show up for the last minute. Because I'm playing so many hours, I don't want to show up level one of a fifteen hundred. Although my ROI would be better, obviously. But um, the yeah, I, I just you know fire last minute, and if you can double, you know, ten big blinds, if you can run it up, you run it up, and if you know, if you get deep in those, you have a lot of equity. Um, your stack's worth a lot if you get deep in in you know one k with with uh, a few thousand people. So <laughs> so yeah, I just last minute fire those and, and start the bigger things on time usually. How, how detailed are your notes and, and your understanding of the players? Because you do play a lot of these poker go high rollers and they're what, 20, 30, 50 person fields. So you see a lot of the same guys and obviously some very talented players as well. Like, do you, are you, you know, give me a little look and not specifically, but what are some categories or things that you kind of, you know, you must start to know the players very well, like tendencies, bubble play, um, final table bubbles, like what, what type of stuff are you looking for and what can you do against these guys that are just like also world, world-class players? What's going to, what are some things that you might be looking to exploit or, 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 or what are you doing? Like when you go register 25 K at the Poker Bowl studio, there's 30 guys. 
you know, what are you, you're hoping for maybe what a few amateurs or some, a little bit of EV generation, but you know, how, right. how, how, what's your mindset when you're playing the best of the best on these, in these fields? What are you looking for? Um, yeah. Trying to pay good attention to the, obviously there's always some recreational players. A lot of them play good still. Um, but really, so it's kind of like watching these really good players and maybe see what you can learn from them, but also maybe how they are, how they're deviating from the optimal play that the solver play is. So if I see anyone play a hand that the solver would say that's not a good play, I, I will notice that and take note of that and think about how that can be exploited. Or if maybe they did it for a reason, or maybe they just always, they have a tendency to do a certain thing, right? If they're out of balance in these certain spots, they can be exploited if they're not. So, you know, people are all trying to utilize the, the perfect strategy and it, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. Um, and I miss them every day. I miss hand. You know, I don't play hand exactly like I should have. So that with the good players, and apply that to the bad players too and kind of put the solver thinking away with, with the worst players and um, just play poker like we used to play. <laughs> like uh, what your gut tells you and, you know, what you've seen this guy do a lot of times like that. Um, but there's a lot to learn watching the best players like on the bubble and final table play is a whole, a whole other can of worms there uh, with ICM implications, things like that, and how a big stack, a certain big stack like Ali might play that versus, you know, someone like Foxen or something or Seth Davies, how they might all just play it differently, you know, and, and if you can pick out what they're doing differently, it's going to help you. Is poker more fun for you now, today, current age, with, with technology, you know, the streaming, the high, the high rollers being prevalent, or was it back in the day when you started and you were building a bankroll, traveling around, and you weren't really sure if you could make it or not, even though things were different and the stakes were different? What to you is more more fun, that now or then? They're, they're both fun, right? Like, it was a lot of fun, like, building the bankroll and, and uh, yeah, traveling around and meeting all the people. And, uh, and like I said, pre-solver play, like, everyone's just playing differently and you know, after the after Black Friday and all that, I felt like I was playing significantly better than most people, right? People weren't defending enough. Uh, they weren't raising enough. They had full too much post-flop. So I probably, I might have had the most fun back then because I felt like I was clearly ahead of a lot of players, right? Um, whereas now everyone's like, and then the high rollers, everyone's just good now, right? Even the, the rec players are like just playing a lot better than they used to. So the edges are very small. At the same time, it's fun now because the opportunity with tournaments now, right? There, there's all these high rollers right here in Vegas, and go play them like several days a week almost. You know, out, out of out of the year, I mean, I could play sixty percent of them high rollers almost, ten k's and up or something. I, I don't know. I haven't done the math exactly, but it's a lot. I was looking at the schedule going into the next year, and there's just a lot, a lot of stuff coming up. It's just nonstop. Um, what what Carrie Katz has done at with the Poker Go Studios and just the whole whole tour is is amazing and I think everyone kind of owes them uh, a debt of gratitude because they're they're growing poker. He came up with this you know Poker Go subscription model and then he's getting it on. We're on it's on CBS Sports now and ESPN. A lot of the events are on. Like I'll just have people randomly text me, "Hey, I'm in the bar." I just looked up and saw you on TV, you know, and it's out, it's out there. It's popular. I, I feel like, like it's, 
it's always been pretty popular. I don't know if it's more or less than it was, but it's getting a lot of exposure still. Right. Like you said, people that aren't so much in the, aren't players as much as like content creators and like Kevin Martin, they're bringing a lot of people to the game during the game. That's great. Um, the, the Triton tour. I mean, there's a lot of big, exciting things going on. Um, people are running tournaments really well. Like at the Pokemon studios, it's just Paul, Paul, that Paul Campbell. He's amazing. Um, at the Aria, it's just a top notch experience. Every time they do it, I'm not the Aria, the, the win, they do an amazing job. They're starting to get bigger tournaments. Um, so I think there's a lot of exciting things. Also, online poker, I think, is going to start making a resurgence. At more and more states are going to pass. So I was pretty bearish on poker like a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. I kind of thought the end was coming. And now I feel like the future is really bright and there's a lot of opportunity out there. Um, like I said, the, the state by state, and maybe it'll just go all the states eventually. Or even if we get 20 of the good states and more big sites coming on and things like that. I think it's just uh, uh, poker's moving in a, in a direction that that's what players should be excited about. For sure. And how do you approach a 3,500 WPT? Let's take the hard rock, right? They get the record field size, which is great for poker last year. I think it was, or this year, actually, I believe earlier in the year, it was like 20, 2,500 or 2,000. I forget, like way over the record field size. You know, when you go and sit down at 3,500, know it's going to be four or five days similar to a main event, but it's also a smaller buy-in that we're used to playing. How does that compare for like a one or two day 10K or, or 25K? What sort of, um, what, do you, what do you enjoy more? What's kind of more exciting? Um, probably, I mean, those big field events are fun. They're, I think they're more fun, right? And the 10Ks get a little monotonous. It's, it's a small group of players. Um, the experience over there is amazing. Like I said, it's one of the best experiences in poker, but those Florida tournaments are a lot of fun. Like the characters you run across and they do a great job in Florida at Hard Rock too. The turnouts are amazing. Um, and when you go deep in those, like you're playing for a lot of money, right? You can win a million dollars. So, and the field can be soft and there's all these loose cannons everywhere. Um, so th- those are a lot of fun. I- I've always had a-, a very big soft spot for like Jason Kuhn, you know, he gets fired up for the high roller bowls and all that stuff. I, I really love like a huge soft 10k, like or or 25k, you know, like like the stars had one a few years ago. Um, things like that, I I really like because this, you're playing for huge stakes if you go deep, and and it's somewhat soft, right? So, uh, and I mean, if you look at my resume, that's where most of my big results have come from, right? The final table main, the the party poker millions, second third, um, things like that. So yeah. That was a fun one. I remember this tournament. Yeah, this was right there in Vegas. They threw it together and not, a, you know, Tom doesn't play many tournaments, just comes in, takes it down. Absolute legend, yeah. Marchese. Not a, not a guy that, you know, if you're going to lose, losing to Tom, then you can't feel too bad. Guy knows how to play, play some yeah. cards. Um, all right, let's dive, let's dive into some questions because I did see a lot of stuff that I actually wanted to ask and we're already, we're already over an hour here and we're, I think, you know, people live getting some some questions in as well. So let's kind of go up anything we can, uh, if you, I don't know, can you see it on my screen or no? Cause I'll, I'll, I'll just kind of read some, but if you see anyone that I scroll over, you know, you want to answer, feel free. Um, let's just, let's just get off the gate here with ghost of M legend, Marco lead moderator. Everyone knows Marco. Please ask Jeremy who he thinks is the best newer live MTT player 
who may be flying under the radar. Yeah, give me give me a name. Maybe someone's popping up in the 10Ks that's sort of young. Is there another young wizard out there? Anyone that's like that we haven't heard of that you that you would want to put a put the eyes on? I mean, Ali wouldn't really fall in that category anymore, but he he was one of them a couple of years ago. Obviously, um, now he's he's got a friend, Rock, um, Gustiger or something. He oh, Gustiger, yeah, yeah, he's he's been crushing online he's, too. He's been doing really good. Um, who like? I mean, Stephen Song. I mean, he Stephen Song's not really a unknown anymore. He's one. He's one of big graceful events. Um, who else has come along? None that are really jumping out at me. I don't know. You know, there's got to be so many of them, and I just don't even know them. Right. Yeah, I think there's been some stars born during this COVID online era, too. Probably guys have gotten really good and some crushers that are maybe haven't, you know, emerged or whatever or we don't know of yet. But I'm sure there's a lot of new up-and-comers. Um, all right, let's go to our favorite thing to do outside of poker. What do you do to re- reset, relax after deep run or what a bad beat, win? You know, what, what is something that you like to unwind with um obviously hanging out with the kids and the wife but i i like uh music a lot i i play guitar and a little bit of piano so i i'm trying to kind of resurge in the last couple of years i've gotten into guitar a lot and play that and uh try to try to sing and do some covers and all that stuff i i like that a lot that's, that's a lot of fun very nice. What about a poker idol? Who did you? Who was your favorites watching on TV growing up? Who did you look up to either because of their play or just their character traits? Who was someone that you always you always enjoyed to see when you were watching growing up? Uh, it had to be Ivy. I mean, Ivy was just the standout. Like maybe not. I mean, there was other great players, but he continued to prove himself over and over. Right, like through the years on on full tilt, just playing anyone at any game and usually crushing them. It was just unreal, right? For someone to do that from an old school, one of the old school. I don't know if he's old, but I can. No, yeah, he's one of the OG. I count that old school, like the back poker after darks. You know, oh four, oh five, oh six. These guys that we saw on TV. So yeah, yeah that's a he good was, step. He would be the guy. I mean, he was just he was just a freak. He, I, I loved watching him. He he was amazing. I remember the first time I played against him, even at the World Series, and it was like limit hold'em, half limit hold'em, half no limit. And, I, I remember what it felt like, how I compared it to is when I first got to Mike Tyson and Mike Tyson's punch out, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe you're too young for that game, but no, I know I actually have, dude, that's funny. I'll, I'll send you a picture. I have it on my wall here. You can't see it. I can't really move my camera out set, but I have that Mike Tyson, like signed photo of the punt that game right there. So oh, I know, yeah, that, I know. that was a great game, but. I got this in the charity poker thing. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's funny to see now. That's what I'm saying with kids, how crazy technology is, right? This, like, looking at the graphics and, like, this game was so sick. And, like, now we're, you know, I'm looking at these, like, Grand Theft Autos and oh, it's, yeah. like, it's just insane. Like, it's literally, like, you know, now there's the metaverse and whatever. People, it's just, it's getting a bit wild. You know, I'm worried about our our, our kids and in the future and what's happening, what they'll have access to and, and what's going to go on. It's a bit, it's a bit crazy right now with, uh with technology. Tell me a little bit about your, if you don't mind sharing on staking, swapping, you know, how do you, you play hundred K 25 Ks? Do you sell some, do you swap some? Like, give me a little bit of a look in the high roller scene. I've heard di- various different, um, you know, kind of explanations. Actually, Bonomo just went into pretty big depth. He was on the other day, obviously I just took the number one spot and explaining a bit, like, how do you, how do you break that down? Is there, depending on how you're doing, you have your year set out where you're like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to sell 
to some friends or people, or does it just kind of, does it depend on how, how things are rolling on what percent you take and, and what you do with your, with your high rollers? Yeah, it kind of depends on how I'm doing, but yeah, I, I sell action. So back in the day, like I didn't used to do all that, right? I was a cash player and I was just, whatever I played, I just took all of it, right? Um, but now, and maybe because I'm getting older, I'm maybe just more risk averse, right? So um, yeah, so I, I do sell for the bigger stuff and I just, I have some friends that just will buy anything I want to, I want to sell. So, and then, yeah, I'll try to get some swaps in there sometimes too. Not as much swapping, um, but, but yeah, I'll, I'll sell for some bigger stuff. Uh, what, what about place you'd like to visit? We see, and what's your favorite place you've been and what's the place that you are looking to go? You just never gotten to go and you're and you would love to go take the family or whatever. Go visit. Um, I mean, I love, I love visiting Rome. I mean, I've been there twice. I just thought it's an amazing place. Like I like history and all that. And just to walk through and just see this stuff that's, you know, about a couple thousand years old is, is amazing. Um, so, so that maybe not to live or something, but to visit. Um, You're not just saying that you saw my son come in with his full kit. He had the full Roma jersey on. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> that's his squad. He loves it. We, I took him to the first all season opener in Rome this year. Um, he had the best time ever. That 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 is. I mean, it is that hit. That's just stuff, the history in that city. It's it's just crazy. You just feel it, right? You get all this stuff there, and it's very authentic, very authentic place. So yeah, very exactly. good place. And I love wine and gelato, so you know that's there. Um, there's a lot yeah. of places I'd like to see still. You know, I, I haven't been to a handful of places over there, but I've never been to anywhere in Asia. Um, went to Australia once, but I, I love I love Europe. I really do. Um, but now the kids are getting a little older. I think we might do after COVID calms down, if it ever calms down, <laughs> I think we might do like a big trip like that. You know, we used to just go to the beach and things, but I think we might do a, a bigger, like a Europe trip. And now they can appreciate that a little more. With two kids, it really, it's, it is a production. I'll say that. It's one of the things like now, like going to dinners, getting out, organizing, you, you realize like small victories, but you know, going for, like a European, those Chevy Chase vacations, it's a, it's a lot, right? You gotta, you gotta plan, you gotta, you gotta, you got the whole, everything, car rides, the plane rides, you gotta have entertainment, the ages are different when you can do stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm going through it right now, but it's a, it's wild, right? It's just not like, I miss those times too, where you could just go anywhere you want, anytime, you know, oh, there's a tournament in Tunica, like your buddy tells you, you just hop on a flight and go. And it's not quite like that. There's a little more planning and, and routine. So it's not like that. Yeah. I, I recommend when they're like, yeah, under four or five, not to, not to do a lot of traveling. Ours were very active. So I remember I went to Hawaii with like a five and three year old. My son, maybe my son was two. He was two and I think they were two and four. And he had just started walking, you know, hadn't been walking too long. He could walk, but he was unstable. He walked up and down the aisles the entire flight there and back and went to Florida a couple, like a few weeks later, same exact thing. They were, it was like four, four hour flights. And I just followed him up and down the aisle, making sure he didn't die, you know, fall and hit his head for the entire flight. So, and then it's a lot. It, people don't get it. It's, it really, really is a lot. But I remember the first vacation that was actually felt like vacation. It was a driving trip. We did the California coast. Because these other trips, you go on vacation, it's not vacation. Right. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I get it, man. I, I, my, uh, so my friends now have three kids. The two kids seems like it's a, it's a lot. I just don't know. I, I, I guess you, know, you would tell me, I, I don't know how much the, the difference you feel went from one to two 
and that you had sort of understanding the initial process, right? So there's probably some learning curve there and, and you kind of know what to expect and how to deal with it. But I just, I don't know. It just seems like it's like the thing that I don't understand is like kids with events, right? They got practices, schools, quite like you want to try to be active, involved. I guess like when you start getting a three, four, five kids, like five isn't so common now, but I have friends with four, three, it just yeah. seems so hard, right? Like how are you like balancing their time? Like there's just always stuff going on. It just seems, it seems hard. Yeah. So. Two, two is a lot. It feels like a lot. Cause yeah, once they get in all these activities, it's just a lot. But by right. the way, it gets easier and easier. Now minor, it's fun to go places with them, right? And they have fun. You can see them experience it. And it's, it's really cool. I, I got to ask you about the terrible twos. My son's two and a half. I'd say overall, he, you know, he has his moments, but he's pretty, seems reasonable. Would you say, was that a thing? Like, what was it? Give me, uh, this could be off topic, but since we're here and there's probably some parents out there and maybe, you know, new parents, what what ages were were the most difficult and stressful, and and what was uh, were your kids pretty well behaved in the two threes, or was it was it chaos? Yeah, it's kind of chaos. Like I said, they were really active, so they were just into everything, right? They would never just sit there. I remember our friends' kids would just hang out, you know, and just be calm and play. And our kids are climbing and doing all sorts of stuff. So it it was a lot when they were two. Ever since they started crawling basically until they they calm down at like five maybe right. so yeah it, it, it was a lot um it's, it's so interesting how kids have different their personalities you know how like you just don't know it's like well you you could have two or three kids and they're just completely different which is you know it, it just it's fascinating if it, kids are fascinating to me but it, it's definitely definitely fun uh what's your favorite place to play live poker if you just you know take away the buying if it, all things same takes a 10k whatever it is cash game thing where is it that you're like wow like i'm happy that i'm going because either the game's good or it's a great tournament where do you just love to go and play poker well i mean it depends if you're talking about the whole all-encompassing experience you know i had a lot of fun when i went to australia a few years back and like been out there melbourne was a really cool city that was fun um barcelona was cool so so those trips are cool when you can go to a city you've never been to and play some some really good poker tournaments and then see a new city you know the, i love those trips um as far as just the playing experience i mean i would have to give it to the poker go studios it's just it's just the best it's it's eight hand seven six to eight handed at the most it's spacious it's comfortable they run the tournaments just unbelievably well like it's they're so on top of everything the shot clocks um, and then the win is right there too. The win is amazing. It's just, it's an amazing spot. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, I mean, as you expect Vegas, right. It's sort of the Mecca yeah. for, for, for poker, uh, in the U S in, in, in general. And so it's nice that there are really top, top tier venues. Did you play in Atlantic city for a while? I thought I saw someone make a comment on that. Were you living there or grinding there for a while? No, I've been to Borgata a few times and played there. Um, you know, I should give a shout out to Florida too, to Hard Rock and Tony Burns down there. I think they yeah. do a good job. Tony's there. exceptional. Yeah, yeah, they, they're running larger scale events, but they do a good job too. Yeah, no, they, they really, it really is, it really is great. Uh, what was your most satisfying bracelet that, of your career? You've got three. I mean, the first one was was the first one, right? So it was. It's, it's hard to match the experience of the first one because it's your first bracelet, and everyone thinks it's so cool, but I mean, the last one I just won the 50k. That that had to be the one that I'm. I really am gonna remember the most. Um, just a high buy-in, legendary final table. You know, it went forever, and it's cool. It's gonna be on the stream. All you know, all my 
family can watch it. It's going to be, I think they're going to put it on the CBS. So, and uh, without a doubt, I would say the last one. But the first one has a special place. The middle one, you know, I did something good for charity. So that was good at least. Yeah. There you go. Uh, we got a, we got a strategy question from Juan Franco. Give me uh, nothing advanced, elaborate. Give me something that maybe someone who's a beginner would when they're in respect to bet sizings. Do you have any just like quick trick? Is it a board texture and sizing or position? Give us. Uh, we don't want to spend a lot of technical time, but Juan Juan looks. He's a student of the game. He wants to know. Give us give us a pro tip. Uh, probably in general, people bet too big. Like especially multi way, you should be betting small usually. Also. I think if you think about the hands you're targeting, that helps a lot. Like what the bulk of their range is, you know, like if they have a lot of draws, you, you, the idea is you want to bet something that makes their hand like indifferent, right? Where they are torn between calling and folding. So if you can match a bet size that does that with a lot of their range and you see people constantly in the tank and frustrated, then you're doing it. That's how you should be doing it. Yeah, that means you're doing a, a good job, in my opinion. It's well said. Um, poker goals, 2022. Do you do you follow hen and mob stuff? I mean, you cross the 10 million mark. It's a, it's a pretty significant milestone um, in terms of uh, you know of of earnings, and and there's not many people with 10 million all time earnings. Do you have? Do you look at this stuff? Is it fun for you? Do you think? Do you think this is? You, you say, look, I want to be number whatever in Nevada. I want to be all-time money list do you pay attention to this stuff or just kind of go with the punches yeah i don't too much i mean i do a little bit because i told my kids like when i hadn't won a tournament forever i was high on the gpi and i was like look i'm like rank number four in gpi like number four player in the world so they thought that was pretty cool i'm trying to win them over so they think i'm cool even though i hadn't won anything forever so um i i don't know like I don't focus too much on that. Like I just put in the hours and put in the work and results take care of themselves. I feel like, so I never set goals. I, if anything, I set like hour goals or something like how many hours I want to play. Um, but not, I never sent, I, I never set financial goals. Well, that makes sense. And what, where do you think we are as an industry with poker? Cause you know, you see the name Hendon, it's mob, right? Which is a little bit intense. Uh, there's not really, you know, it, it does an interesting job. I, lo- I love the fact, like to me, I on almost every podcast too, to like kind of go down memory lane. Like I love seeing, you can click see, cause it's hard to remember, right? You're like, I've been playing 15 years. It's like, all right, go back. And wow, there's this many entrants. I took this place. It was in this place. It's ama- really amazing. But in terms of like how it's done, do you think poker compared to like PGA, FIFA, some federations, like, are you, do you think that it's in a good spot? Would you like to see things done differently? Or do you think that your friends, family, and people are able to follow along pretty closely, and it, and it does a good job with tracking everything. I think they do a pretty good job. I mean, especially like like I said with the the high roller scene here, Poker Go Studios, it's amazing there, and they have they they live update almost any of these these tournaments. Like you know, they they have a series of ten and twenty five k's right now. Every one of them is has a reporter on it. You know, so almost every high roller has a reporter. So I think they're doing a great job with that. Obviously they don't have the eyes and the sponsorship money as something like PJ and things like that. So it's going to be a different product, but I think it's cool. Yeah. You can go on him and mob down your whole list. And like you said, you can kind of relive it and remember it. And it's, I hadn't thought about it. That didn't exist. And you would just completely forget about all of it. You know? so yeah. They have that. And 
something amazing too that you know pro sports golf they don't they win a lot of money but they don't put it up an entry fee right and why is that because advertisers are paying all this money because it has so many people watching it so i mean something poker go is doing is uh they're paying you to play now like there's a 50k on the 20th in six days they pay you a thousand dollars to if you show up on time you pay zero rake which is already awesome and then they're paying you an appearance fee for a thousand dollars you know which is it's two percent of the the buy-in that they just they pay you to play so i think if we started to see more things like that obviously companies don't want to give away money right not in their best interest to give away money short term anyways. Right. Their main idea is to make money. But I think what they're thinking is maybe they get, you know, so basically the sponsorship money they're getting, they're giving some back, much like golf or something like that, which is they're getting way less. But to see them give some back, I think is a it's a huge step. And it's, it's really cool to see. And maybe we'll see more of it. Do you believe? Uh, well, first, of all, have you seen Queen's Gambit? Do you watch some series at all? Yeah, I did watch that. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And do you think that poker could be could benefit from something like this? And that you know, just the negative connotations in general, or even like Rounders, this is like the most prolific poker movie. But it's got you know some seedy stuff. It's like it's fun. It's cool. It got me into poker as well. And you can see the beautiful side of it. But like it is kind of if you watch it as a viewer, you're kind of like, oh look, I like people cheat. People do this. It ruins relationships. Guys are like, you know, ruining their lives or, or risking their lives. Like it kind of looks a little dark, you know. Like instead of like the Jeremy Osmus that goes through college or finds poker, runs up online or a few grand into a family that he's staying himself winning millions of dollars. And, you know, the, other, the lighter side, do you think that poker could benefit or, or is in Cause it does seem negative, right? It still has like, still, it's almost like when you tell me professional poker player, it's doesn't quite get it. It's not like people aren't, your faces don't light up like that. I mean, it's cool. It's fun, but it's sort of like feels a little seedy still. Do you feel that way? Not, not too much. I mean, feedback I've got. Well, everyone I tell always thinks it's really cool. You know? Yeah, I think I think twenty years ago that was much more so what you're saying, and I think it still exists, right? Because there is a dark side, and and that's because it's gambling, right? Like you're 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 putting up money in gambling, but what people don't realize is it's a skill game like chess or whatever. It's just you have to put up your own money to play, right? That's right. Power. So. There, so because of that, it attracts gamblers, right? Because people who maybe just played blackjack forever, now they, they're trying out poker, right? And and it, you, some bad stuff happens. I think there are bad actors in every uh, every field, right? I mean, I think people at the top kind of have it together more in, in like golf and, and all that. But I think you see that with poker too. If you go down those top names in poker, you know, I don't think you see too much shady stuff, but... There, there are some problems these days, like with uh, still, because there's just money at stake, right? Like cheating and like with online poker, that's a big deal. So I think it's, I don't know, like it's not in the best light for sure, but I think it's kind of hard to, I think it's come a long ways, but it still has a ways to go. Although I just don't feel like you'll fully shed all of that negative, right. negative connotations of it. Well- Let's take a couple more. I just realized we are running a, a bit over here, and I know you have you have some stuff scheduled. And I think you're actually are you play, you're playing an event today, or yeah, yeah. There's a 25k at Bellagio. All right. Well, yeah. Let's let's get you get you going here, and maybe one or two more guys. Remember, there is a fifty dollar giveaway. I'm gonna pick the winner. I'll do that at the end here. We're almost done. 
Um, let's see, maybe one, one or two more. Uh, what about? Uh, let's see, I've seen a bunch of interesting. Oh, people are asking about books. For me, I've, I've never seen people ask. I don't know why they're they're asking you. You look very studious. Is there any poker books that you would recommend? I guess it's changed so much, but you did mention a couple when you first started. Is there any, anything recent or old school that you would recommend? Uh, I haven't really read a poker book in a long time. Um, I think there's some good mixed game books out there. Maybe I think Dylan, Dylan Lindy has one out there. Mm -hmm. um, but as far as, I mean, it's so much like, I think training sites is the way to go now. There's just, it's, it's just more in tune with what's currently going on in the games and things like that. But it is a little more high level too. But honestly, I, I don't, I mean, one of the best poker books I read was Cole South's, uh, let there be range. It was called, you know, I, I'm sure you could find that somewhere. It used to be like a thousand dollars, but now you can probably find it cheaper. Interesting. Um, maybe a little more advanced also, but I, he's just a really sharp dude and was, was a great poker player when he played. Very cool. And what about, uh, the, the last question I will ask is, do you think, you said you're pretty bullish on poker right now. We, I don't even want to go down the crypto rabbit hole. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about that in general. Crypto NFTs, a little dip right now. But do you think that the poker, the state, the health of the community, where would you rate it in, in, in terms of where it is at the exact moment? And are, do you think in the coming years, do you see this becoming even more healthy? Or do you think that it's hard to, it's going to be hard to keep up this, this kind of boom, the secondary boom, if you'll call it, recently? Um, yeah, I, I, I think things are going to keep going pretty good. I think online poker is going to uh, spread state to state. Um, finally, I can't believe it's taken this long. Um, there's more tournaments than ever. People are doing a, a better job running them than they ever have. Big boy nanny. Um, I, I think that um, things just get better for, for a few years. Um, like, you know, maybe not that explosion and the golden age like we had back in the day, but I, I think it's pretty good right now. Very, very nice. And, uh, any, any closing words, anything people can, are that you're excited about coming up? I mean, they can sweat you again on Instagram, on Twitter, you, you post some stuff, any, anything, you know, new year's plans, Christmas, anything you want to, you know, you, you're looking forward to show your son this, uh, Instagram goal. My, my, on Instagram, scroll down a little bit, click on that soccer one. Let me see. This. Yeah. I think, I don't know if it's, it might be too loud. Okay. It works. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Number five. That was my number. Yeah. I love that number. Oh, wow. No way. He goes going coast to coast. Yeah. Show your son that. Whoa. Whoa. Yo, that's that's actually a crazy finish. That is not an easy. How old is he? Nine? At that age, he was um, maybe six. Okay. Yeah. That, I was going to say for, but man, dude, he just housed that. That Like no angle. Dude, that yeah, that's crazy. All right, I'll show him that. He'll love. He will love that man. He's I, honestly, I'm so like I, I played soccer my whole life. I love it. I just I'm almost trying not at this point to over like get him too hyped about everything because he's so. It's like a, it's really crazy for two and a half. I'm telling you, he, we had to we had to put him to bed with his cleats on and then take him off. And it's it's he's like so. So I'm trying not to like. You know, I'm already. I think I've hyped him up a little too much. Yeah. And how much I like it and want him to be a part of it, but um. But yeah, no, I'll I'll, uh, I'll definitely show them that. All right, let me let me load this up. Hopefully, this this giveaway thing works. I'm gonna let you choose the winner. Fifty dollars cash money records. We're gonna give it away. And uh, let's see, download retweets. Look at that. Ninety people eligible. Better than one percent chance. You know, I never know. You might spin fifty into a dream. Were you one of those guys? You put you, you kind of started a roll. 
you, did you put a little bit online and just never look back or a few deposits or, or how did, how did your, how did it go for you? Um, or a few deposits. Yeah. Once I got on Doyle's room, like in 2005, that's when I kind of never looked back. But before that, I kind of was up and down on party poker and things like that. Nice. Very nice. All right. Well, all right, guys, I'm going to do this. I'm going to let Mr. Osmus here tell me when to choose. We'll choose a winner. You just tell me when. All right. Do it. There it is. Choose a winner. This fancy giveaway tool, the retweet giveaway. It, it screens for bots. It does the thing. And there it is. Peter Mirkops. Hope I pronounced that right. You just won $50 in cash and I will be messaging you. We're going to handle that. And I am going to see you guys tomorrow for a podcast with Scott Ball, who had a little bit of controversy recently. Looking forward to kind of talking about that, clear it up. And he actually won the No Limit Player of the Year, won two bracelets. I think, we, were you guys the only, maybe one other person won two bracelets, this WSOP? Um, I think it was maybe four or five. Or, oh, maybe Zeno too, right? Zeno won two. Did Josh, Josh Aria won two. I oh, yeah. Won a PLO and a PLO8. And maybe there's four of us. Pretty Pretty, pretty, pretty sweet, man. Two bracelets. Congrats. That is uh, impressive. Always a big fan of your game, how you carry yourself, being a dad, making it all work. You, uh, you are, I would say you're, would you say you're like the poker constant dad, like the father? I mean, who else do you, who else is like kind of out? Uh, no, I mean, I say Darren Elias as well, but you're, you're a little, I mean, they're 10, right? 11 and nine. So you've been doing this for a while, like showing that it can work. I always wonder, I'm like, man, I just don't know if I'm going to be able to keep kind of doing playing and doing it because it does seem difficult. Um, but I guess living in Vegas helps to have that that many options in one place. So. For sure. Text, text me. If you have any questions, I remember Jason Mercier texted me a while back. He's like, man, is this getting me easier? <laughs> but yeah, hey, text me. I'll try to help if I can. I, it, it's not easy. I love it. All right, guys. Well, listen, this was podcast number 155. Jeremy Osmus, appreciate it. Congrats to the winner. Be on the pod for... Uh, tomorrow, Scott Ball, and then I actually have Yuri, the, the man, the myth from Brazil next week, and Matt Kalish, co-founder of DraftKings, the following week, kind of closing out the, the year. So we got got a couple more big podcasts going to be streaming, playing online from Twitch towards the end of the year as well. But I uh, really appreciate it, Jeremy. Sorry to keep you a little past your hurt. I hope, I hope you get your cold plunge, hit your shower, get over there and crush these events and, and keep your, your heater rolling at the moment. Really uh, impressive stuff. Big fan of how you play and, and do your stuff. So, man, cheers. All the best. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. Sure, man. Thanks for having me. Cheers, brother. All right, guys, that was Jeremy Osmus. I'll see you tomorrow for a 1 p.m. Eastern podcast with Scott Ball, and we'll check back with you then. In the meantime, enjoy the 247 channel. Matt Staples is live on Twitch. Check him out as well, and we'll be back for that tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this episode. It was brought to you in partnership with Party Poker. Go to PartyPoker.com to play tournaments, cash games, and improve your poker game. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all of my future episodes.